Mac Power Users, episode 634, Getting the Most Out of Your iPhone Camera. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good, David. How are you? Excellent. I'm going to uh, have a lot of fun with this episode. I I think a lot of people could get more out of their iPhone camera, so this is the one to listen to. Yeah, this is one that's been on the uh, on the outline for a long time, and really, once we started digging into it, these uh, these phones do so many amazing things when it comes to photography. Like, yeah. we're not even getting to video stuff this week. It was yeah. initially in this outline, and we were both like, "There's just too much in here. We got to yeah, we well, got to push that off." it a three hour show, so yeah. we're uh, we're gonna just do the camera stuff. But I, I learned a few things in prep for today. I hope. Uh, you, dear listener, will learn a few things and get better at it. Uh, before we do, a, a couple uh, things. Um, first of all is I want to check in with you, Stephen. Where are you with your Mac Studio? Yeah, so it is supposedly coming in two days. So it is on its way uh, from last time UPS checked in. It was in China. That was a couple of days ago. So we're recording this on Tuesday. It should be here Thursday. So by the time this episode is out, I will probably already have ripped apart my desk and put it back together. Yes. And yeah. I'm so I'm so excited. The the more uh time has gone on since the ordering, the more we, we learn about these machines. I'm just really excited to be on Apple Silicon every day. Yeah. Like like you've been for a while now. I've still been in, in the Intel world, so couldn't help myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited. I went into the store and, and played with one for like 30 minutes until they shooed me away. And it's a nice computer. I mean, I, I'm still not entirely sold on the look of it. I, there's a certain utility to it that I like, but um, I wish they had like leaned into the cube more, honestly. But it's a good looking Mac, you know, it's going to look yeah. nice on your desk. It's just so weird going from that huge Mac Pro to this little box. I know. I know. It, it's going to be uh, it's going to be strange. I'm not quite sure, you know, how, how that'll all land. Um, you know, I, I think you have a similar thing where like your desk sort of evolves over time, yeah. even with the same setup, right? You may yeah. just change a little thing that has cascading effects. Like you and I, and like most people, we have a bunch of like audio hardware we have to contend with. So I have my interface, I have a headphone amp, and then I have a, basically a USB cleanup box that's in that chain as well and a mute switch so i have like audio boxes everywhere so i got to contend with all that but i think i'm going to tuck it right under my pro display so i can see his little face peeking out at me i think you should put it to the side and i think you should get a custom like little uh lego rocket or some kind of lego that you like and just put it right on top of it yeah just whatever goes on top of it that's a that's an important decision i think and unlike the cube uh, it doesn't vent out the top, or unlike yeah. the trash can Mac Pro, those the hot air rose from the top, and you know this it blows it out the back. So yeah, I got to think on that. I got to find something. I also think that there's a whole bunch of controversy now because a lot of people, well, a few people have them, a lot of people want them, and everybody's worried about the noise. I mean, I went to the Apple Store, I put my ear right next to it, I couldn't hear it. Granted, I have a little bit of tinnitus, and it was a crowded Apple store, but honestly, I, I think that noise is kind of a non-issue, but we'll see, right? Yeah. You, get, yeah, you can I, tell us next week. Yeah, I will. You know, I saw one in the, in the store as well, and that's so unlike 
my office, it's it's hard to tell. Yeah. The um, there are uh, a lot of people in the forums speculating as to when I'll buy one, mm-hmm. and I, I hate to say this publicly because you know what'll happen, but I don't really feel you know hugely motivated to to switch to one. I mean, I have a MacBook Pro; it's great, and uh, particularly now the mobility of it is essential to me. Uh, maybe when I finish my studio build, I'll want one. But uh, I mean, the thing I'm missing now more than anything is a really thin and light laptop because like I've had to take a couple trips with this lunch tray and I don't like, I don't like getting on planes and running around the world with a 16 inch multi-thousand dollar laptop in my bag. Right. I'd much rather have something smaller. I don't need the power on the road. So if it wasn't for the fact that you know there's a rumored new design MacBook Air coming out, I would just buy a MacBook Air right now, like a low end one. But mm-hmm. it, it is weird just having one computer. I'll tell you that. And then the other thing for me is I don't know. Well, will I want the MacBook Air or will I want like a really like scaled down 14 inch Pro? I, I don't know. But um, yeah. So we both have some uh, some fun stuff ahead of us. Like everybody else in the audience, we're always planning our next Mac, and uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait next week to hear about it. So we'll, we'll we'll check in next week with you on that. Yeah, that sounds good. On more power users today, we're going to be talking about the 15 inch MacBook Air because suddenly there's more uh, smoke around the rumors of a 15 inch MacBook Pro. I'm sorry, MacBook Air, and we have thoughts. So uh, for the uh, subscribers, stick around. We've got more to talk about. But today we're here to talk about shooting pictures with your iPhone. That's right. Uh, I thought it would be fun to just spend a brief moment in down history lane because, yeah, yeah uh, always. you know, I like to do that and you let me get away with it. Unlike some other shows I, I'm on. And I think well, I was there for most of this. <laughs> so I, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, in fact, probably a lot of people in our audience, if you go back through your photos library, you'll see pictures you took with an iPhone 10 years ago. You know, it's, yeah. it's been around a long time. And really in reflecting on that and, and doing some diving through my own photo library, it's really it really struck me how much things have changed. You know, the first couple of iPhones, uh, for the, the camera and really just photography because video didn't even come till later, it really was not, like a primary selling point for the phone, right? I, I I don't want to go so far as say it was an afterthought, but it wasn't the primary focus that it is today. You know, now I think most people upgrade either just because their phone is old or they've broken it or something, or there's a camera feature they want, right? But yeah. in those early days, like the first two iPhones, had like a built-in two megapixel rear camera that didn't shoot video, uh, was a set focus, you know, very poor indoor and low light performance. I mean, if you go back and look at photos you took with your iPhone 3G, they're not good, right? They're just not good. Yeah. I mean, they, I felt like I remember with the original camera on the iPhone, that's like the camera you use, like if someone bashes into your car and you want to get their license plate kind of camera, you know, yeah. it's quick and it's in your pocket. Uh, you're not going to be taking birthday pictures of your wife or kids with it no but um but also i mean go back in time cameras you know it was a two megapixel camera uh, but that two megapixel cameras were not unheard of at the time i mean this is kind of early in the development of digital cameras granted the the sensor was even smaller in the iphone which is why it was just so kind of cruddy but yeah 
but it was there. And, and it was the first time I'd ever had a thing that was in my pocket all the time that had a camera in it. I mean, uh, the Palm Trio I had before, I believe, did not have a camera in it. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it didn't. And then it, it just, it was a, I remember thinking about, you know, having a camera in my pocket at all times and how that changes mm-hmm. certain things. And, yeah. uh, and that was kind of nice, but, but it changed society, right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it really changed yeah, how kidding. we, how we view public spaces and all of those things. Um, you know, I think I, I did have a phone. I think the Treo I had did have a camera, but you know, something that, really isn't in the accounting of like the iPhone hardware year to year is the software story. And from the yeah. beginning you docked your iPhone and your Mac would slurp in the photos into iPhoto, right? Yeah. And they'd be all organized and be there. It was the first phone that made it easy to contend with photos in any way. And I think that they had geotagging from day one. This is hard for me to remember now, but I think, uh, Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I think yeah, that, I don't know if the first one did or it, if it did, it may have been it was it would have been just based on cell towers and Wi-Fi networks because they yeah. didn't add uh, GPS support to the phone until the second one. But yeah, you know, e- even then, it would organize all that stuff for you, right? You didn't <laughs> you weren't like emailing them to yourself off your Palm phone, which is yeah. probably what a lot of people were doing at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and over time it got it got better, right? So the, the, in two thousand nine, you would get uh, autofocus, we get VGA video. There's a a line in the three GS keynote uh, where it's like you just tap to focus, right? And I think the demo is there's a flower in the foreground and a house in the background, and it shows someone tapping on the screen and the focus moving. Again, er- everything does that now. I mean, even my like big expensive Sony camera that I use to make movies with, even that has tap to focus. But it was such a cool thing. And in fact, I don't, I don't know. This was actually before you and I met, but maybe I think it was still on, you know, ongoing when we met. For a while, I ran a Tumblr blog called Tap to Focus, and all it was was like three to five second silent videos taken with my iPhone of just really simple things. Like um, I remember some was like, it was looking into a projector as the light was coming through and you could see the multicolors or a lava lamp or, you know, rain dripping out of a gutter. Just very simple, like little, very simple iPhone videos. And I wrote the name off because I thought tap to focus, which was such a cool name for a website. Yeah, is it, I'm just looking. Is it still alive? I don't think it is. If it is, I'll I'll, I'll find uh, I'll I'll find a link. I don't I don't think it's still up. Yeah. Okay. I'm just looking really quick. Yeah. I don't I don't see it. But yeah, I probably took it down. But um, I see a post on Five Twelve Pixels, January July fifth, two thousand eleven. I've launched a new side project named Tap to Focus. There you go. <laughs> a long time ago, man. <laughs> long time yeah, ago. No, that that was cool, and we're going to talk in the show today because that's that has evolved. Uh, I think there's some additional features now you can do like that that people don't realize. But you know, and that was to me the beginning of. Uh, the idea of con- um, computational photography that, you know, maybe it's not a great camera, but the software makes it great. And that was just a little peak of where we were heading. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You see these glimpses early on of of what was to come. And you know, different people look at different iPhone models and say, that's the one where I quit carrying a point and shoot camera, right? And 
for me, that was probably like iPhone 4S or 5 era. And I would still carry a point and shoot camera, but I wouldn't use it. And eventually I, it just kind of fell out of my fell out of my bag um, as I moved on. But it's really been incredible to see it uh, see it move along so nicely. Yeah. Yeah. And then so we get to iPhone 4 and 5 or iPhone 4 had 5 megapixels and that was where they added the flash. And then the next year with the 5S they got the True Tone flash. That was that was kind of cool. Um Yeah, definitely. Uh, to be honest, I almost never use the flash, but you know, the idea of a flash that matches the room color to make it a little less nuclear. But then I feel like around, you know, after once we got to iPhone 6, then Apple was in the camera business. I mean, at some point, Phil Schiller said, you know, Apple sells more cameras than anybody else in the world, referring to their iPhones. And I do think that there was a lot of people inside Apple very enthusiastic about cameras and wanting to make the iPhone a great camera. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember those early days, they would like they would show a slide from Flickr, right? Of like the most popular cameras. And every year the iPhone inched up not only over regular phones, like or other smartphones, but even cameras. Yeah. And uh, s- such an amazing transformation. I mean, look at where we are now. All of these phones have multiple cameras, you know, either two or three on the back. You have one on the front, which wasn't there in the beginning. It wasn't until the iPhone 4 we got a front-facing camera. And even yeah. then it was just for video. Apple realized over time that this was going to be uh, more and more important, and they rightfully put more and more effort uh, into it. So I talked I talked to somebody inside Apple once, and you know Apple's legendary for having small teams. Like on apps that you really like, you'd be shocked how small the team is that's making it and or keeping it up. But uh, this person was telling me that there is a remarkable number of people uh, employed by Apple between the lens system and the software. Uh, working on this camera app and the camera hardware. Like, it's a massive team. And that's reflective of the fact that people buy, you know, I think the biggest reason the non-nerds in my life buy new iPhones is because they want an upgraded camera. I think that's totally true. And I, I, I look at the reasons that people like my wife buy a new phone, and that's always her answer, right? She never really cares about this new feature or that new feature but it is about having having that that new camera, that new feature, you know, whether it was night mode or something else that we'll talk about. Uh, having having the new, you know, f- to make these memories is is what's important to her and what's important to so many people. Yeah, yeah. At what point did you? Well, I guess you've kind of answered, but I mean, at what point did you really like use the iPhone camera as your daily camera? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember a few years ago, I I don't know, probably around like the the 7 plus with the dual camera system. Yeah. That one, I think I really kind of in that era really stepped up my game in terms of iPhone photography and and now, you know, I have nice cameras, none of them live in my bag and yeah. I'm it was kind of around that point I felt like okay, these are passable, these are more future proof than uh than previous previous cameras were I, think. I remember a few years ago we went to hawaii for a vacation and um and i took a little like waterproof pouch even though the 
phone is waterproof. I took one anyway. So I took a bunch of pictures underwater and I took all these great pictures of my phone. And when I got on the plane to go home, I was looking at all my pictures and I realized that that was the first trip I'd ever taken where I left my fancy camera home. Hmm. And it wasn't like a conscious decision. You know, it wasn't like I, I was at home saying, well, should I take the fancy camera? No, it just didn't even occur to me to take it. And I realized, oh, okay, now the iPhone has really become that camera for me. Yeah. So I'd say it was about 2018 or so that that hit me. And I'm like, and since then, I have not taken the fancy camera on an airplane. It's just now it's my studio camera. I shoot all my video for Max Sparky Labs and the field guides with it. But it, that's about it. And occasionally, like when the kids are going to something really fancy, I'll get it out for them. But it's really uh, the iPhone has really taken over for me. Some good news before we move on. I did find those videos. There'll be a playlist on YouTube in the show notes. You can check them okay, out. Okay, <laughs> excellent, excellent. They we survived can see in my personal in channel. Noisy, noisy granularity. I can't wait. Yes, it's not not good looking. <laughs> kind of fast forwarding to today. You know, um, twenty nineteen, the iPhone eleven Pro and Pro Max came out with the three lens system. Upgraded to 12 megapixel ultra wide, wide angle, which is, I don't know why they call it wide. It's the standard lens for them in the telephoto. And um, now we've got uh, optical stabilization with 13. I mean, it really, the iPhone for a lot of people is more of a, a camera with a phone attached than a phone with a camera attached at this point. Totally. That, that's, I think that's how a lot of people view it. And I, honestly, I think if you look at what Apple talks about when there's a new, iPhone, like set your clock to it. It is the the most time spent is on the camera, you know, not the processor, not the screen. It's what you can do with the camera system. I'll tell you, that's where I miss Phil Schiller. You know, Phil is uh, was he an Apple fellow now? Yes. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he was a big camera enthusiast and he would get up on the screen. It was kind of reminiscent of an old Steve Jobs keynote where you could tell he just wanted to say so much about the cameras, you know, and it's like almost like he would go off script and just start like drooling over pictures, just like a camera nerd. And I kind of miss that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I get it. And, uh, and I am with you. The iPhone camera is pretty great. So let's talk about how we can all use it to our, uh, to our benefit and get more out of it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com MPU in all caps to get 20% off your plan. 1Password is the best way to protect yourself and your family, but did you know it's also the best way to protect your business? Productive businesses use 1Password to secure their employees at scale. 1Password business gives you complete control over passwords and other sensitive business information and is compliant with the most stringent industry standards for data confidentiality, integrity, and availability. With 1Password, all your data is encrypted at rest and in transit. With tamper-proof authentication encryption, brute force protection, data residency options, audit logs, and it's SOC2 compliant. It's a lot of fancy words to tell you that if you have a business and you want to protect your passwords, you should get 1Password for business. People are still writing passwords on sticky notes and sticking them on their monitors. That shouldn't be you. The problem with this is always implementation. How do you get a system that your employees will be happy with? Well, guess what? 1Password was developed as a consumer product, and it's something anybody can use with the slightest amount of training. With 1Password for business, you can log into any app or service with a single click. 1Password is the simplest way to create, share, and use strong passwords. 
and it's easy to deploy. It integrates with Azure AD, Okta, OneLogin, and Slack, so you can provision employees using the systems you already trust. 1Password for Business is used by over 100,000 businesses, including companies like IBM, Slack, the PGA Tour, and Shopify. With 1Password for Business, you can set permissions at scale or customize access by user, group, or vault. Delegate admin responsibilities to trusted members to help you manage your accounts with shared vaults, custom groups, custom roles, and account recovery. You can even make guest accounts for your business. You can identify potential threats before they happen with advanced reporting, so you can see if company email addresses or credentials have been exposed in a data breach and invite employees to 1Password to secure exposed entry points. When you sign up for 1Password for Business, they even give you 1Password for families to all your employees so they can get used to using the application not only at work, but also at home. It's scary how vulnerable businesses can be on the internet these days, but it's very difficult for people to figure out how to solve that problem. Well, 1Password for Business is the solution. Go check it out. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps and uh, follow that link so you can learn more about it and sign up for 1Password for Business today. Thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Yeah, so the, the centerpiece of all of this is Apple's camera app, which you can get to from the lock screen or from your home screen. You get it from Control Center. It's, it's, it's almost everywhere. Yeah. And over the years, I was really struck in putting this together, just how much stuff is in this app. And honestly, I think part of the UI could use a, a bit of an organizational sweep. It's just there's a lot going on in there. Yeah, a couple things. There. I would say, first of all, you know, Apple is legendary for simplifying UI. And this is a case where I'm happy that they have not. Because okay. uh, I want to take pictures. I want to have some options with my camera. And I feel like they have, um, and we'll talk in a minute about the arrow, but I mean, they have they have built a system where you can just open it up and push the button and take a picture. But there's a bunch of iconography around it that if you know what it means can make better pictures without requiring a lot of work. So I, I'm okay. I'm not going to call it a messy interface because I think it needs to be messy to give me all the features I want. Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. And and to your point, most people, most of the time, including I think the two of us, you just open it, you point your phone at whatever you want to take a picture of, and you hit the shutter button. And yeah. it, due to all of its cool stuff that it does, which we'll talk about, it makes a really great image almost every single time. But you do have those controls, and they're they're placed both above and below the uh, your field of view of the photo, and it's all iconography, right? There's a little bit of of a learning curve, I think, uh, to what each of those things does. But at the same time, I think Apple's been pretty consistent in how those controls show up in other places, right? So, like the live photo indicator which is a circle with a dotted line around it you see that in the camera app but you also see it in photos right it, it has the same visual language and so you know when you see that that it's something to do with live photos and and I'll, i will give them credit there that i think the consistency is nice um there's something we should say too at this point where we're talking from the position of the iPhone 13 Pro and 13 Pro Max. Not all older phones have all of these features. Some of these features are based on hardware in the new phones. 
Yeah. And in the future, there may be features that we don't know about yet. So this is a little bit of a snapshot <laughs> in time of, of what this app looks like. But we talked about them adding video, right? The way they did it was a very simple toggle, you know, between camera and video. And it's just grown from there. And once you kind of learn what these icons mean and what they do, you can really customize your shot. Really, I mean, to your point, I think, pretty quickly yeah and i guarantee you this show will be out of date in a year or two because there's a massive team at apple now working on new features today i don't know what they'll be i don't know whether it's lenses or whatever but it's going to have new features because they're in the selling iphone businesses and uh you sell iphones by improving the camera so it's it's just going to get better but as it exists let's take a look um at the camera ui the top left is the flash which is um, they stole in the Max Sparky logo there. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, is that what happened? <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but somehow uh, I, you know, I'll have to talk to Apple about that at some point. But um, the flash, all you do is you tap on it and you can change the mode of the flash. And if you turn the flash off, it gets a line through it. It's very obvious. I don't know. Are we going to get into this now? Do you use the flash much? I don't ever use the flash. Yeah, I keep it turned off by default as well. Occasionally, you can use it as a fill flash or whatever. But I, you know, I was taught when I first learned photography that the flash is bad, and it does largely, especially on the old-fashioned cameras, because it was a blinding kind of really high-intensity blue light. It made everything look like it just wasn't natural. I would much rather just not take a picture than have a flash. But I do find occasions that I'll turn it back on, but I keep it off by default. They've gotten uh, better at the way that it looks. I mean, this true tone flash we have now is multiple LEDs of multiple temperature light. So they can blend in. So it's not what we think of. You know, if you think about the early 2000s, a flash on digital camera, like just a bright blue light and the skin tones all wrong and the colors all wrong. They do a pretty good job of it, but I have that beat into my mind as well. Like, don't use a flash, don't use a flash, don't use a flash. And so I just, I can't bring myself to do it. Yeah. But I I was at a birthday party for my nephew recently, and it was at a restaurant that was kind of dark. So you're indoors, there's not a lot of light. And I just turned the flash on and I got some nice pictures with it. I mean, the, um, you know, I think the, the camera team understands the, the, the perils of a flash and they, they try to temper it with uh, what they've done here. So uh, I, I guess I would say in general, especially if you're outdoors, don't use it unless you need a fill flash. But um, I, I keep it turned off and I decide to turn it on under certain circumstances. And that's one of the beauties of this interface. You just tap that little icon, the Max Sparky logo in the top left corner, yeah. and then you're good. It's, I'm going to think of that every time I open the camera app now. There you go. I want you to. <laughs> I want everybody to think that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Right next to that, you have night mode. Uh, that icon is kind of like a kind of like a moon. It only shows up on phones, of course, that support it. And if it is uh, dark enough, so here in my bright yeah. studio, I don't see it. But if I put my camera, you know, face down into my black trackpad or my, my black mouse pad, it shows up, yeah. and it will highlight a little number of how many seconds that night mode will uh, will stay on. We'll get into more and more to night mode in a minute, but that's sort of next in the list, next to flash. But it's not always there. You know, some of these are contextual to what the phone thinks is going on. Yeah, and then you've got next to that exposure. Uh, 
And there's a cooler way to manage exposure, but you can change exposure right on the camera. This is relatively new. I mean, with the for many years, you didn't have any exposure control on the iPhone, which was a big selling point for third-party photo apps. But um, they've got it here now, so you can fiddle with exposure, which sometimes makes sense. Yeah. I usually do that by the cool trick of tapping into the field of view and dragging my finger up or down. Yep, you stole my thunder. I was going to share that later. But no, that's <laughs> that's cool. I mean, but we'll we'll come back to that because there's a couple things you do while you're taking a photo that can really improve them very quickly, and that's one of them. And then um, next to that, um, on the other side, you've got the raw button, um, and you can take raw photos with your phone, which is kind of crazy. Steven, uh, do you shoot raw photos on your phone? Not on my phone. I do on my Sony yeah, but on the phone, uh, I won't say never, but it's pretty rare that I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, I just keep it turned off. I, I, yeah, and I, I don't miss it, and it does use a lot of space if you're doing it. Um, and then at least in the photo mode, the next button over is the burst mode button. Yeah, it, this lets you shoot multiple images really quickly. So if you got you know a kid running across the yard, yeah. you can. Uh, grab a bunch of images and then there's a UI that comes up later helping you pick which one you want to keep. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that later. And then next to that is the live photos, which is, we've got a whole segment in the outline on it, but it's cool. You know, um, you can turn it on right there. And the thing I think that's confusing for people is the arrow or the carrot right in the center. Yeah. This is on newer, larger phones and it brings some of the controls like flash night mode and live photos, it brings those controls down uh, towards the shutter button away from the top of the screen. But then it also shows you photographic styles, which we'll get into and a control to change your aspect ratio. So you can shoot four by three square or 16 by nine. I'm not sure why those things got grouped together, but there they are. No, I, I, it's cool though. Like Daisy and I, whenever we do the DLR field guide stuff, sometimes we'll shoot a picture to at Disneyland to use for the, um, the thumbnail for the video. And I'll just hit the carrot and change the aspect ratio to 16 by nine. So I'll get the, the image shot. Exactly. I can frame the image right there and make sure I get it right. And having the ability to do that without having to jump into settings is, is a benefit. The thing that's weird to me about this is the duplication of the functions. Like the flash is in both places then. And I would have preferred, like in a perfect world, if Apple's listening, I would prefer these to all be features that are not duplicated above. So like mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk later about the grid. I love using the grid. Wouldn't it be cool if I could just turn this off and on, the grid off and on under this carrot rather yeah. than having the flash icon appear twice, you know, Agreed. stuff like that. Agreed. Um, but uh, it's cool, and uh, th- but that's another way to give you more more functions. Um, you know, continuing through the UI, you've got the lens lists. You know, at the bottom of your your viewfinder, uh, they're listed as 0.5, which is um, I, f- I forget Apple's language, but 0.5 to me is the wide. One is the normal, and three, in, on my case, because I've got the um, the iPhone Pro. Three is the zoom, but I guess they call it different. They call the standard is wide. 
And with the the number one means the wide lens to them, which is the standard lens to me. And 0.5 is, what do they call it? Ultra wide. Ultra wide. Ultra wide. Oh, just like your computer, ultra. Yeah. You, yeah. you get the max though. Okay. Max. Well, uh, it's yeah, max the names. Light. The names are bad. I think that wide being the middle lens should just be standard, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, I think Apple needs a new position and they could hire me. I'll, I'll take that job. I was never going to work for anybody else, but if they offer me, I'll take it. Vice president of names. And I would have company wide uh, authority over the way they name things. And I could just go in with my VP of names, um, I'd have like one of those things that Kings used to have that they'd hit people on the head with like mm-hmm. scepter. I'd have a name scepter and I'd go in the camera team and say, this is dumb guys. Wide, normal zoom done. And I just bang somebody on the head and then it'd be done. What do you think? I think it's great. You have my full, I mean, I'd be sad to lose you on the show, but yeah. if you got to go well, that would somewhere be a condition that I'm allowed to do the Mac power. users. <laughs> Good luck with that. I'd say, uh, Timmy, it's okay. I get it, but you got to let me do MPU still. Yeah. No, okay. Then then it's the perfect solution for everybody. The next time he calls me after he listens to our show, I'm going to talk mm. to him about it. Wow. Um, either way, yeah, names. They're weird. So we, we've been uh, dancing around shooting photos a little bit, but uh, I think that one of the the key things with the iPhone camera is that the speed you know, this ability to just whip out your phone and take a picture quickly. And, you know, the time to like the time to camera is a huge, huge deal. And I know Apple's even talked about this in keynotes, but you know, if you see your kid or your dog, or you see something going on in the world that you want to take a picture of, you should be able to get to that shutter button as quickly as possible. And this is Apple's unfair advantage over every other camera app, in my opinion. Definitely. Uh, Not only is the app really fast, but because it's part of the OS, it can be baked into a bunch of places, like we said earlier, right? There's there's tons of ways to get to this uh, camera UI, even when your phone is on the lock screen, right? You don't have to unlock it and find the app. Although I do keep camera in my dock on the bottom right. So it's kind of where it is on the lock screen. So I know like my thumb knows kind of like bottom right of the phone hit down there and you'll be in the camera, but it is, it is so fast. Yeah. I, okay. So let's talk about them. First is when you uh, look at your phone, if you swipe right to left, you're in the camera and ready to take a picture. I think that might be the fastest way. So, and, and I think you need to turn that on in settings. We'll get to that later, but. If I literally pick up my phone from sleep, look at it and swipe to the right, I've, I've, I've got the ability to take a picture. That's the fastest way I know to get to that screen. But also on the lock screen, there is a camera icon. You'll see a camera icon and a flashlight icon. You have to long press it. It's not immediate. You have to press it for just like a second, and then it shows up in the camera. Both of those methods get you to the camera much faster than unlocking than tapping an icon, right? Another one is the uh, the ability to to swipe down to control center and you can get it there. And that's what I've been doing for the longest time. But I'm fancy. I only have three icons in my dock and I really like the way it looks, but I should really just suck it up and put the camera in the dock too. Because sometimes I'm looking at my phone and it's unlocked already and I want to take a picture and I need to swipe down the control center and then press the camera button. 
that, that's an extra step, man. I might miss a photo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks kind of goofy there on the dock, but I like the muscle memory and, you know, trying to shoot pictures of our dog or our three kids. Speed is of the essence. Uh, I remember in the really old iPhone keynotes, Apple would talk about this. They would also talk about how fast it was between the first photo and the second photo. So like back in the day, a lot of phones were pretty quick to get the first shot off. But if you wanted a second one, it was like twice as long because of the processing on the back end. And, and Apple has done such a good job at making it as quick as possible. And really, I mean, we're talking about all these custom controls, all things you can do, like to get started. And, and, for most people, like you can just pull it out, square up your shot and hit the shutter button. And it's, it's going to be pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how far it's come and there's even some cool stuff around the shutter button. So you can use a volume button, like an actual camera. I like this because, uh, in certain situations, maybe you can't like, maybe you're holding, the camera the phone in a certain way where you can't touch the screen very easily so being able to use a volume button to take a photo is pretty cool plus it feels cool like it feels like you're taking a you know a picture on a quote-unquote real camera because you're pushing an actual physical button to do the to do the shutter yeah they i don't know if they're still making them but they used to make iphone cases that looked like a camera and it had a physical button like right over that volume button and you'd press it like you were pressing a traditional camera button and it would hit trigger the shutter. I don't know. Have you, did you ever see those? Yeah, I remember those. I haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a while ago, but uh, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you know, the phone, it's a camera with a phone attached, right? So mm-hmm. anything is possible. That's right. You can also trigger uh, you can trigger it with your watch. And that's one that I don't think enough people use. Uh, every time we get my family together, uh, I set up the phone with a little tripod or something, and we take a picture with the uh, and I do it with the watch. you know it's just, the, the idea of hitting the button and then running to jump into the picture while that can be kind of fun. It's more fun to be in the picture and just look comfortable and not like you just ran into the picture. Uh, so if you've got an Apple watch, there's a camera app in there. You press the button by default. It's on a three second delay. Your, your watch tells you the watch even gives you a preview of what the phone sees. So you can make sure everybody's in frame. And, uh, I just don't, you know, every time I show that to someone or I do it in front of someone, they're like, what did you just do? Nobody realizes that's a, a possibility. Do you ever use that? I do. I've used it for group photos, you know, group family photos. I've also used it while working on things around the house or maybe on a car where yeah. I can jam my phone up somewhere, but I can't see the screen. Yeah. And then like, you know, I'll have the phone like up in a cabinet looking at the bottom of a sink and like look on my watch to see what it sees as like a yeah. remote viewer application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it totally works. If you, I mean, Apple says you need to be within about 10 meters, but it's you know, it's really responsive. And so like, it, it's such a cool feature. I agree with you. This is totally underutilized and under and under, you know, covered because it is, it is really cool. Yeah. It was there with the first generation watch and yeah. it, it is a great feature and I use it all the time. Um, there's just a, a lot of different ways to get to the camera app and take a picture. And, you know, for, 
a lot of the pictures I take, that's all I need. I don't need to get it. We're going to talk about the cool settings as we get through the rest of the show, but quickly getting to the phone and taking a picture, that's the main problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Apple has solved for first, right? Like they've, they've added these other features as time has gone on, but from the beginning, they've wanted it to be fast and reliable. All right. So while you're taking the picture, this is another in the category of quick uh, adjustments, uh, focus and exposure. Uh, and this is stuff that has kind of evolved into the camera app over the years. Uh, Steven talked about touching the screen to focus. We got the Tumblr site going up. So we've kind of covered that. But um, the ways I like to use that touch to focus is number one, obviously picking a subject when there's multiple subjects and I want to get it. Um, uh, uh, number two, I can use it artistically. Like I may see a picture of a flower and the mountains in the background and I'll take one with the focus on the flower and the mountains will be blurry or I'll take a picture of the mountains and the flower will be blurry. And it gives me a chance to quickly, you know, try different things out when I'm taking pictures. And, um, I also find that, uh, really helps if HDR gets confused. We're going to talk about HDR later, but sometimes HDR gets a little confused about what it should really be lighting properly. And if you tap on something, it'll adjust the exposure to get it right. And, uh, that that's the quickest way. So just tap whatever you want and things happen. The other thing that Steven had mentioned is exposure. If you just swipe up or down, you can change the exposure level. And this is a fancy term for photographers, but basically you're changing the amount of light that comes in. So if the image is too dark, you can swipe, or if it's too light, you can swipe and you can get artistic with that too. I find that a very useful feature. I do too. And I think the the calibration of the exposure adjustment is really nice. Like you can drag your finger just a little bit and make just a little change. Yeah. Because maybe most of the time, unless you're doing something sort of unusual, the iPhone knows so much about what you're getting ready to take a picture of because it's gathering information all the time. As soon as the yeah. app is open, it's streaming in data from those sensors, getting everything ready. And so very often, I just want to tweak it 5%, right? I'm not making yeah. these big drastic changes. And they've made it, they've dialed that in really nicely, I think, on that gesture. Yeah, and as someone who's used, you know, proper cameras in the past, you know that changing exposure is usually like a 0.3 kind of thing. You don't you don't change massively the exposure. Uh, you usually don't. And the iPhone doesn't either. But you can, if you really want to do a long swipe, it will get pretty crazy looking. And the the third piece of this uh, for the quick adjustments is the locking of focus and exposure. And sometimes I find like I will like frame the dog and tap it to focus her and then I'll move to reframe the photo and then everything goes haywire, which is not what I want. So if you long press when you tap the dog, the kid, the spouse or whatever you're shooting a picture of, then you can reframe the photo. You can move it around, but it keeps the same exposure and focus level. So that is uh, something I, I don't use that as often, but I do find uses for that. One thing we need to talk about uh, is file format. So it's how these pictures are actually getting saved. Yeah. And I only bring it up now because that's sort of the the next step, right? You take a picture and then you, you, we all want to share it, right? Like that's the whole... <laughs> For a lot of us, that's the reason we take the pictures that we do. Yeah. And for a long time, for years, Apple was just shooting in JPEG, right? You would just get a JPEG, you could airdrop it, import it into photos, email it to somebody, whatever. But about four years ago, uh, five years ago or so, they introduced support for new 
formats. So it's it's Heath High Efficiency Image File Format. That's the new Photos format. Yeah. And then HEVC for video, which is H.265. So uh, better encoding than H.264. This was a little rocky at first. And in fact, there continues to, be, to this day to be a setting where you can say, I want the new ones or I want the old ones. But I feel like in the last maybe two or three years, I really haven't had many issues where I've ended up with a Heath image on my desktop and I can't upload it or do something with it. Now, it's easy to make those JPEGs, but I feel like this sort of discussion would have been a lot spicier <laughs> three years ago. But now I just use the default of the new, you know, uh, better yet smaller file formats. I occasionally bump into this. Um, a lot of times I will um, airdrop a photo to my uh, to my Mac. And I know they sync with photos, but, you know, I'm just, I just shot something for like a video I'm making or something. Yeah. Um, and I need to put it into, I think ScreenFlow is one app that doesn't recognize heic uh but anyway occasionally i find i've got a an image on my desktop that doesn't go where i want it to also some of the web upload forms like when you upload an image to um, a website you know uh, this you know like this um the studio build i'm doing i had to send a bunch of pictures to the homeowners association of course they didn't their website didn't recognize heic so i do occasionally run into this now when you drag an image out of the Photos app, it converts it to JPEG at the time you drag it out. So usually the problem is solved for you, but where I run into trouble is, is airdropping it, if I just do an airdrop. Uh, I made a little uh, quick action to to, to convert it. I'll, I'm going to make a video of that. I'm committing right now that it will be on YouTube by the time this episode airs. But if you, if you have any problem, I, I'll make a quick video to show you how to make a quick action to solve it. But... Yeah, agreed. It's it's largely not a problem, and it does take a lot less space, which is kind of the point of it all, right? Yeah, the, that means if you're using something like iCloud Photo Library, you're using less of your paid storage. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I really just kind of wanted to mention that because it comes up when you read articles about iPhone photography, but it really hasn't been the uh, the sort of difficult journey that I think it was even just a couple of years ago. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by NetSuite. The CFOs that get it, get it, and those that don't, don't. So let's talk about the CFO, your company's chief financial officer. Today's CFO is critical to both the strategy and the success of their businesses. And in growing companies, there are two kinds of CFOs. One is struggling to keep up, Spreadsheets are everywhere, there's manual processes and errors, and a lack of visibility into the numbers. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game, with automated reports. Inventory, e-commerce, and HR all flow into the financial model seamlessly. Insights come back with the click of a button. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 29,000 growing businesses. And it can be the number one cloud financial system to power your growth as well. You can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control 
after upgrading to NetSuite. Join the over 29,000 businesses already using NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash MPU for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash MPU, netsuite.com slash MPU, and of course, there's a link in the show notes. Our thanks to NetSuite for their support of the show and Relay FM. So in addition to evolution of the software, there's also been a lot of evolution to the camera hardware itself. Uh, we talked earlier about, you know, the wide, the ultra wide and the zoom lenses. There's a lot of glass in your iPhone now. There is. I mean, my 13 Pro Max has four cameras and a LiDAR sensor. Right? It's, yeah. uh, it's really incredible. And where we are today with the 13, uh, the wide and ultra wide that it has are equivalent roughly to 26 and 13 millimeter. And then the 13 Pro is the same, but with a 77 millimeter telephoto. And what this lets you do is it lets you take a wider variety of photos from standing in the same place, right? There's this old adage, you know, I learned it in school. I'm sure a lot of people have heard it is you zoom with your feet, right? So if you're on a traditional camera and maybe you're shooting with a prime lens, it's fixed length. You've got to, you know, if you want to be zoomed in, you got to walk closer to your subject. Or if you want more of the background, you got to walk further away from your subject. And what the this multiple camera system lets us do is replicate having three different lens styles all in one compact little device. Yeah. Agreed. And and they're they're they improve every year. Uh but the at this point in history, the wide lens, the the one X lens is by far the superior lens. And I think that's just something you need to keep in mind when you're shooting pictures with the iPhone is whenever possible, use that one X lens, like at that birthday party indoors at the restaurant, I use the one X lens entirely because as soon as you put the, the ultra wide or zoom in low light, that's when they look bad. They look fine outside. Like if you shoot outdoors and it's a sunny day, any of the lenses you shoot on the iPhone are going to look awesome. Um, but as soon as you have poor lighting, the one X lens is going to do the best. And it's not close. I mean, if you look at pictures taken ultra wide versus wide indoors, you will see, uh, I mean, just anybody, you don't have to be a camera pro to see the difference. That's really my biggest hope for future iPhones that all three rear cameras or, or you know, both on the, the regular phones have the same quality sensor and glass. I think it's better than it was, but it's still not where it should be. I really would like the only decision I have to make is what focal length do I want? And I don't want to be thinking in the back of my mind about the trade-off I'm making by switching from one to the other. I just don't know that that'll ever be true because of the laws of physics. I mean, they have only so much room to work with in there. Um, there is some rumors of like periscope style cameras coming to the iPhone where there's, there's like a reflective glass inside to give it more distance between the lens and the sensor, which would help. But, and also the thing is they're always evolving that prime lens, the one X lens at the same time that they're evolving the others. I mean, if you look at the ultra wide and the zoom lens of today, it's probably on par with the, 
the lens of the iPhone three or four years ago, the prime lens three or four years ago. But, you know, while those have been getting better, so has the prime lens. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like this may be a thing that's just something we have to be aware of for a while until there's some, some magical way to improve the camera lenses. Because I mean, the, the underlying point of the camera lenses is it's in a very small space, you know, Um, compared to your Sony camera that there's like inches between the lens and the sensor, right. which gives the you know the optics a lot of room to work. And in the iPhone, there it just it's in an incredibly small space, mm-hmm. you know. Which and that that's why the computer bits are so important because if you took uh, you know the basic image your your phone shoots and compared it to a, a normal camera with a, a normal lens system, it's not even close. The only reason the iPhone's so good is because of all the artificial intelligence and. Uh, computational photography stuff they layer on top of, right. you know, a, a pretty crippled system. Yeah. But all that said, uh, you're right. A, a reach of 13 millimeter to 77 millimeter with a phone that fits in your pocket and looks good. That's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. but, but I, I do. And, and I'm not saying don't use the wide and zoom, but just like be aware, like if it's dark out or if you're indoors, you're going to get that. You really want to lean into that one X lens if you can. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that you see that UI in the viewfinder where you can switch between the lenses. And if you tap on one of those and start to drag, a little wheel comes up and you can set your zoom level in between the, the hard fixed points of the lenses that your phone happens to have. And you can see it when it moves between lenses. So like yeah. if I'm zooming out, I can see where it's it steps down because the point of view changes slightly because the camera's you know physically a little bit different point of view, and you can really kind of see what we're talking about. You can still definitely use digital zoom, but one reason I buy the Pro Phone every year is that I really like having a telephoto lens. There are times where I want to get closer to a subject and I can't physically right, and you can. You can do that with digital zoom. It's never going to look as good as the real thing. But that UI really kind of shows what we're talking about. You can see these three lenses working together and when it moves between them and, and how they all sort of interact. They're not they're not like three separate. I mean, they are three separate cameras, but they're part of a system, right? They share intelligence. They, they talk to each other. They know what each other is doing. And I think that UI is like the best example of how to see it. Yeah. I mean, we're 15 minutes in and we haven't even got to all the cool computational photography tricks yet. All we talked about is how to take good pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this is, I, I, you know, I'm saying that gleefully because the camera is awesome in the iPhone and it really is kind of fun to talk about it. Uh, so we've gone 15 minutes and we've had a good time here, but the, uh, we haven't even got into the cool features they've added via software. So let, let's get into some of those. Uh, the first one to me is burst mode. You know, the ability to hold down the shutter and take a pile of pictures. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's really fast. <laughs> it's faster every year, just how quickly it can read data off the sensor and process it. What I think is really cool, though, is that I've never really had it stumble through that, even on older phones. I feel like they've they've done a good job at speeding the process up as the phones have become more capable. Yeah, I remember when it first released. I don't remember which iPhone it was, but the day after I got my new iPhone that had burst mode in it, we were going to a family reunion and there were a bunch of little kids there. And of course, kids are terrible in pictures. They close their eyes and everything. So 
I'd have them stand there and I would just shoot a burst mode. And then I could go back later and pick the one where the kid's eyes were open. And I did it for all the pictures I took that weekend. And when we finished uh, the family reunion, I was sharing my pictures with Daisy. She's like, how did you get all these great pictures of the kids? And I realized that, you know, even people, she had no idea what I'd done, but it's just like, it was like such a game changer for stuff like that. And a lot of that comes with selecting the images you want to keep, right? If you take 18 pictures of that, you know, little kid with her ice cream cone, finding the two or three that you want, you can go through them automatically, but actually uh, the photos application will suggest burst mode images that it thinks are the best ones. Yeah. And you can tell it, yes, I want these three, get rid of the other 12 or whatever. It's pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, it's using, again, it's using their computational stuff, the machine learning to know, okay, their eyes are open. They're looking at the camera. There's not much blur in this one. And honestly, when I take burst photos, almost every single time the suggestions it makes are spot on with the ones that I would want to keep anyways. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a method to pick one, but honest, I agree. I, I just almost never use it. And that is something that has got better over the years. Um, some of my favorite uses for burst mode in addition to children is like getting some person I know and just say, will you just jump in the air for me? You know, anybody like young, old, whatever, if they're physically able, tell them to jump in the air and shoot a burst mode and then send them a picture of themselves in the air because there's something about the act of jumping that does that just I guess sparks joy in us as humans. I've never seen somebody not look happy while they're jumping, and uh, <laughs> and so you take a picture and then you send it to them, and they're like, "Well, how'd you get that one?" Because it's so hard, like with the old old timey cameras, to like get somebody in the middle of the air. You never could quite time it right. And yep. with burst mode, you just take thirty pictures while they're jumping, and one of them is going to be in the exact right moment. And so that's a really fun thing to do with it. Um, any kind of action photography, but, but I, I, I recommend find somebody in your life and in the next week, tell them to jump and take a picture. And I guarantee you, it'll be an amazing picture taken with burst mode. Uh, another mode that's in the camera app. that's actually been there a while is the panoramic mode yeah. where if you have, a, you know, I think sort of the typical example is you have a landscape, right? You're looking out on a mountain and there's a river off to the side and you want to take a really wide image of that. Um, I like this mode because I think the UI is really clever. So you you roll over to this mode, and then it walks you through sweeping your phone across the scene, and it gives you a level indicator and an arrow, and it tells you if you're moving too quickly. And so it is using uh, the image data it's capturing. It's also using motion information from the phone itself because the phone has lots of sensors it knows when it's being moved and how it's being moved. Yeah. And it puts that together to like walk you through the process of taking a really incredible like panorama image. And I remember in college learning how to do panoramic shots on a traditional camera where you make sure there's overlap and then you stitch them together, stitch yeah. them together. And, and this was like before the days where Photoshop would do it automatically. Now you can just, point it at a folder of images and it'll just do it. But like, yeah. I remember, and like, it was so hard to do. And ultimately the right side would be three feet higher than the left side. You'd, you'd lose space and cropping and all that stuff. The iPhone just walks you through it and you can get some amazing results from it. Yeah. Did you just went on vacation? Did you take any panoramic shots? 
I did. Uh, we did some hiking. We went, we went to the top of the highest peak in North Carolina, and I did some panoramic shots there, and it turned out awesome. <laughs> it really, you know, it's a beautiful valley with green trees and stuff, and it's, uh, it's again, just the thing on my phone, right? And it's, at the end of the day, it's just an image, so it's just in my photo library, and I can share it on social media. I can do all the things I would do with it as if it were a regular photo. Yeah, uh, kind of a trick shot with panoramic is turn your phone on its side and shoot panoramic up. A lot of times it doesn't work. It, it looks silly. But like I remember I was hiking up in Yosemite near the Redwoods and I stood at the base of a Redwood tree and just shot a panoramic up a Redwood tree and it came out kind of cool, you know. So there's a lot you can do with these things if you if you think about them. Talk about uh, the people in panoramic shots because there's some cool tricks with that as well. Yeah, so you are sweeping across a scene, and so say you're at the beach, right? And someone walks across your shot. It may be weird. They may like disappear halfway through the image, right? Or their body's like really stretched out and weird if they're moving the same direction you are. But you can play with that, where you could have somebody on the left side, and as you sweep across and they come out of frame, they run around behind you. And get in a frame ahead of you so they show up on both sides of the image, right? Yeah. And, yeah. So, like, you have your kids and you tell them, as soon as I say now, you know, so you're you're sweeping the image. You just sweep it really slowly. Once they're out of frame, give them time to run behind They have to go behind you or they get in the frame. And then, then the frame moves into them. Then they will appear twice in the photo. It's kind of a fun trick and, and kids dig it, you know. Um, portrait mode. Okay, I... I want to talk about portrait mode um, because I feel like podcasters ha- have been unjust to portrait mode. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Apple added this, what, three, four years ago, the ability to blur the background. And if you have a fancy camera, Stephen and I both own a fancy camera, and you have a good lens on it, um, the, the, they call it bokeh, you know, you the depth of field becomes shallow enough that you take a picture of a person and their face may be in focus, but the you know, the stuff behind them is not in focus. And like, I mean, if you talk to a professional photographer, like they'll use an 80 millimeter lens, they'll get close to you. And they, you know, if you look at professional photography, this is a common trick because it allows the the person looking at the photo really focus on the person. And it's a great effect and it's, it's artistic and it looks nice, but it, you know, generally requires two or $3,000 worth of camera equipment to do it. So Apple decided they were going to do this themselves and they added it in and it's got better over the years, you know, using the LIDAR sensor and some of the other stuff they've got, even using the two lenses at one time where it takes two pictures. So it has kind of a 3d image of what it's shooting. I mean, all the stuff happening in the background is crazy, but you can get that effect with your iPhone. They call it portrait mode. Uh, The camera snobs will all say, and I'm going to hear from some of them just because I said that, uh, but uh, they'll say, no, but that's not real bokeh. If you look at it, you can tell around around the fringes or the hair, or, you know, on the shoulder or whatever. You can see little artifacts that show this isn't truly shot by a proper camera. But I feel like that is, uh, while that is entirely true, um, you're missing the point. I feel like it's close enough now that it looks awesome. And I love that portrait mode. That's one of my favorite additional, like, bolt-on features of the camera app. I think it's also the best example of one improving over time. Yeah. Portrait mode was 
pretty jank when it came out and it has gotten a lot better. It it used to be that we really struggle with people wearing glasses or with like for me, like with curly hair, like it would my hair would be very unnaturally sort of chopped out. But they've yeah. come a long way. And even to the point now where they can do it on phones that didn't have the hardware required in the beginning. So it's it's pretty sweet. Um it's it's one of those things like, you know, just kind of know what you're getting into and one nice thing is you can dial the effect up or down. So if you take an image and maybe it's too aggressive, the person looks too cut out, you yeah. can edit that later in photos. And so it's a little more gentler uh, of an effect. Yeah. I think they're too aggressive with their yeah. use of it by default. And I turn it down quite often after mm-hmm. I take the picture, which you can do. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like, um, it's amazing that you can pull that off with a thing that fits in your pocket. And, you know, most people aren't going to buy a $2,000 camera system to do this, but now they can get the benefit of it. And it's almost like a thing in and of itself at this point where, yeah, you're right. It isn't the exact same photo you would get with a fancy camera, but it still does the thing of blurring the background and putting the subject in focus and making the picture attractive. And, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, to me, that is a very nice way to look at images. I just did one the other day of my dog, and she's really furry, and she's sitting in a furry bed, and it's just, but it worked, you know? I mean, it's remarkable to me that it works as much as it does. Um, a couple things I would add as tips to this if you want to do portrait mode. If you've got an iPhone Pro, you can move between 1X and 3X cameras for the primary lens, Um, by default, it's at that three X, which I think probably takes the best picture, but it's a lot of, it zooms in a lot, you know, when you shoot the, the focus mode or the portrait mode image. So, uh, then you have to step back a few feet and if you can just leave it and step back a few feet, use your, your legs as Stephen was implying earlier, but you can also tap it and it'll change to the one X and use the ultra wide plus the, the wide lens. And that does a good portrait mode effect too. And that doesn't require you to move around. So that's something I think a lot of people don't realize exists. Also, once you use portrait mode, because it's mapping the depth of the subject in the background, that opens up a whole new set of options of lighting effects. And you can go through those with the portrait mode photo. And they've got things where it like removes the background and um, just all, they've got a bunch of interesting artistic effects I find that I rarely use any of them, but I do enjoy looking at them. But once in a while, like, oh, uh, the studio lighting effect looks particularly good on this subject. Here we go. Um, the other thing is I find portrait mode generally works best outside. Uh, you know, again, you're just giving, you're feeding more light to the camera. That makes a better image. And especially because it's using more than one lens, giving it more light to the uh, less effective lenses uh, in, improves the effect. The next mode uh, that I want to talk about is really one that I've come to enjoy, and that's night mode. Uh, It showed up a couple of years ago with the iPhone 11, and this is one of those modes that comes on automatically when the phone senses that it's a dark environment, and you get this little night mode icon at the top of the display. It turns yellow, so it kind of stands out, and you can change, depending on how dark it is, the phone may give you options to change how long uh, the night mode exposure lasts. It'll pick on its own, you know, I think one to like four seconds or something. Yeah. And then it basically leaves the, sh- I mean, 
this is a, this is like a traditional camera term, but it leaves the shutter open in air quotes. It's gathering data for a longer period of time to get more light onto the sensor. It's not just taking a photo and just cranking the exposure up in post because that doesn't look very good. And it's actually missing data when you do that, especially in the details. And, yeah. you know, this was something Apple was a little late to. Other phone manufacturers had this before them. But I think their night mode is pretty good. And I've used it to take some photos that I would never be able to get otherwise. Now, it it comes with the trade-offs you'd expect, right? Because it's it's gathering information for one, two, three, four seconds. Any movement is going to be tricky for it, right? Um, so if you're trying to get like a night mode shot of a little kid outdoors like by a campfire, let me just tell you with experience, good luck. Because <laughs> yeah. kids aren't going to sit still that long. But it is it is really cool. And what is really neat is if you have the phone on a tripod, night mode can run even longer. Now, one of the things it does in this is it uses the image stabilization in the phone to accommodate for any handshake, which we we all have. Everyone moves their hands some when taking photos. We take a regular photo. It doesn't really matter normally under most circumstances because it's very fast. But if you're gathering information for two, three, four seconds, it does. And if it's on a tripod, it gives you options to shoot much longer exposures so you can do cool stuff like those fancy, you know, Milky Way photos we see from people out west. Uh, just taken uh, taken with an iPhone. And like I said, it's been around a couple years. It got better uh, with the iPhone 13 Pro, which added a LiDAR sensor that lets you do night mode portraits, which I've had mixed luck with. It's early for that feature, but I think that feature, like these others, will definitely improve over time. Yeah, I, I find this a feature I use with non-people photos. Like, yeah, uh, you see a house that has really nice Christmas lights or whatever, you may want to take a, a night photo of it. And uh, I, I agree, shooting people is, is very difficult with this mode, but it's still great. And then there is deep fusion, and this is something when we put that in the outline that we we're going to talk about deep fusion. I went on a deep dive because I don't even understand what deep fusion is. Um, (laughs) There's no button for it. You don't turn it on, but Apple says, trust us, your pictures are better because we have deep fusion. The whole thing is just weird to me. Yeah. I don't think it was explained very well by Apple when it first came out. And then it was late. It, It didn't launch with the phone that year. Basically, like, so it's an automatic mode, like you said. You can't pick it. You can't even really tell when it's happening unless you sort of catch it in the act. But basically, it is, it's not night mode, right? It's not holding the shutter open for two seconds, but it's gathering more light than normal to increase. This is quoting from Apple directly dramatically better texture, detail, and reduced noise and lower light. It's doing this partially at capture, but partially post-capture. And so one way you can catch it is if you take a photo and it's kind of dark and if it doesn't come up in like the thumbnail viewer for a second, it may be a deep fusion photo. It may be that it's rendering that image out because it's it's pulling data from multiple exposures and stitching them together. Very weird. I feel like it's one of those things if Apple had never mentioned it, it would have been totally fine, right? It's like, oh, some of these low light photos are really better than they should be. But Apple likes to name things, and at least until you get there and straighten them out with your new uh, naming job. Yeah, until I get my scepter. Yeah. yeah. 
So this is a weird one, but it's in there, and sometimes it does things, probably. I don't know. I feel it's like strange. it was like a meeting between the camera team and the marketing team. And the marketing team's like, hey, what are you doing? They're like, oh, one of the things we did is we made low-light pictures look better and less noisy. And, you know, that's just built in. You don't, you know, there's no user interaction. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to market that. We're going to call it Deep Fusion. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, that's great. They have the feature. I'm not sure we ever needed to know about it. In fact, when I bang my scepter, the word Deep Fusion will drop out of the Apple lexicon. It'll just fall out. Yeah, so... So I hope you enjoyed us talking about it because next time after I get my job, my royal job, I mm-hmm. will not be, we won't have it to talk about anymore. It's gone. It's gone. Something relatively new is macro mode. Yeah, that's new just this year with the 13 Pro and Pro Max. And so if you're close to a subject, you'll get a little flower icon in the camera UI, which is like the universal symbol for macro mode. Like in yeah. all the cameras I've ever used, it's always flowers. Yeah. And it can come on automatically or manually. Uh, and you can change that in the settings. Uh, it will use the wide and the ultra wide lens to basically let you get really close to something. This for me closed the biggest remaining gap that I saw in the iPhone's camera capabilities because you can buy a macro lens and shoot really amazing macro photos with a traditional camera and the iPhone was just never really good at getting that close right a lot of that has to do with the depth of the lenses and the size of the sensor again physics are what physics are but they've made it work with the 13 and uh, the 13 Pro and the 13 Pro Max and I love it I mean as someone who deals a lot with like technology products like I want to get in and like see something up close it is a pretty good job. And most people, you know, a lot of people experience like real life portraits with a traditional camera. Not many people have experienced real macro photography, but someone who has, and I still have the gear to do it. Uh, the iPhone does a great job. And I was so happy when they added it. Like I said, it really sort of, for me, was like the final thing that I wanted the iPhone camera to really do. And I think, I mean, for year one, it's been great. What do you think about it? I, I, well, I, I I used it when it first came out. Um, I just used it to look at my keyboard, and I recommend not doing that because my keyboard is disgusting. I didn't realize, but it is. Um, but mm-hmm. the uh, but like I use it to look at like serial numbers on things, and I know there's another way you can do that with the iPhone. But yeah, so I don't find myself using it that much. You know, I it sounds to me like you use it more than I do, and I I kind of forget it's there. I've yeah. got to find more uses for it. I used it uh, a good bit on this past vacation. One of the things we did, uh, we visited the Biltmore House, which is in North Carolina, and there's a huge gardens on the grounds. And like taking, like basically sticking my phone into a plant to like take a picture of a flower or something. And they all came out great. And boy, that was just not possible on previous phones the way that it is now. Okay. It's just totally unrelated. As a former genius, uh, what's the best method to clean a laptop keyboard? Mm, I mean, you can do like hold it at an angle, and, like do some compressed air, which is good. Okay. And with the machine off, although the Macs now turn on anytime you press a button, which is annoying, you know, you can lightly clean it with a microfiber cloth. Yeah. I need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, you don't, you don't ever look at a keyboard up close. They're all disgusting. Yeah. yeah. 
photographic styles is a new relatively, or I think it was this year that we got that feature. And they're like style presets where you can go in and change the look of your camera. I mean, if you look at the iPhone versus the Samsung cameras, historically, the Samsungs are just dialed in a little more vivid with their colors where the Apple uh, camera is more natural, I guess is the word. I mean, the Apple's is more kind of true to life where um, the Samsung gave it a little more pop. If you look at just the built-in camera features and yeah. that that's true. I mean, if you look at them, I see that, uh, but, and I've always kind of preferred Apple's method. I felt like if I wanted to add pop, I can do it later, but I'd rather just capture the image as accurately as possible. Um, but now Apple has added this feature called photographic styles where you can go in and change what the native settings are of the way your phone takes pictures. So if you want them to be a little more vivid or whatever, you can go in and change those settings. It's not massive, but you can change them. And the interesting thing is once you set them, then that's just going to be applied to every picture you take until you change them to something else. Yeah, that, that's the most interesting thing to me is that it's a permanent setting when you take the photo that it's those changes are baked into how the image is captured for some people that's totally what they want and and you can customize them to you know to kind of the look that you want this feels like something apple felt like they needed to do because samsung has a look even the the pixel which for a long time i think honestly had as good or better of a camera than the iphone they had a look Right. And this is Apple trying to say, well, you know, we're going to look like the iPhone. Apple, I think almost in every iPhone, except maybe one, which we can talk about later, they've really strive for accuracy over some sort of commentary on how color should be rendered in photos. But not everybody yeah. agrees with that, right? Some people want more contrast or they want it a little warmer or a little cooler. And now you can just say, hey, iPhone, shoot this way every time. And and not you know never think about it again yeah it almost feels like when we had the iphone 4 antenna gate and steve Jobs says you want a case here's a case (laughs) right you want a style here's a style (laughs) yeah it's like okay let's stop talking about this we're not going to change the way we do it but you can if you want to make it crazy vivid go for it you know Mm -hmm. and they did it and uh so now we don't have to talk about it anymore, right? That's I think that's their feeling. Yeah, they're never going to touch this feature again. There's never going to be new styles. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai/mpu and unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo wireless headphones when you schedule a qualified meeting. When you think of the phrase boss move, you might think of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. The reality is sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice you spilled on your own keyboard or helping staff members with setting up their new laptops. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Look, we're all nerds here. You're listening to the Mac Power Users. I'm making Mac Power Users. 
We like nerdy things, but the fact is we can't keep up with it all. And even though you may have a good understanding of this, you need someone who's doing it full time to take care of you. A service like Electric is great for small businesses because it offloads that responsibility. There's still time to be a nerd, but you don't need to be the nerd that sorts out the orange juice on the keyboard. Let Electric do that for you. And best of all, for Mac Power users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. So just go to electric.ai slash MPU to set it up. That's electric.ai slash MPU to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today and for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. So next, I want to talk about live photos which are really something that I've, I've come around to. Uh, when this feature first launched with the iPhone 6S, I was not super impressed. Uh, part of that is the technology has gotten a lot better. But uh, basically what this is, if live photos is enabled, in addition to the photo that happens when you press the shutter button, the iPhone records a second and a half of time before and after the photo. And then when you're in photos later, you can long press or view the live photo and you can see the motion that was happening before and after the image. Um, so let's go back to the example we we're using earlier, right? Little girl, ice cream cone outside, and you weren't sure shooting in burst mode. But when you hit the shutter, her eyes were closed. It may be that you can edit the live photo to find a frame where her eyes are open. Or yeah. you just see, you know, this adorable little girl licking an ice cream cone. You get the motion of that. It is, to me, the most emotional feature in the camera app because you get those little moments kind of before and after. Uh, and with kids in particular, there's some there can be some really good stuff in there. Yeah, I remember when this first feature debuted and, and Katie and I had an argument about it because she's like, oh, that's dumb. I'm like, no, if you have kids, it's awesome. And like, you know, you forget to take videos of your kids. I wish I had more video of my kids when they were little, but you know, we didn't have video cameras in our pocket then. And, um, and this is like little tiny videos and moments of life. And like my, uh, my, at this point in my life, my nieces and nephews are having children and my sister who's the grandma takes care of them. And she sends me these little images of these two year olds being super cute with a with a little bit of video on the front and the back, and they bring me so much joy. I I think little kid, this is a feature made for little kids. It totally is. And then when they're teenagers, it's a feature made showing them rolling their eyes right before you took their picture, yeah. which is kind of entertaining too. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 so so much fun. And in the beginning, the video side of it, the quality was really pretty poor. That that second and a half time before and after, but it's much better now. And you can edit them to pick a new keyframe. And so if your shutter moment, the eyes are shut, you can go and edit, find another frame where the eyes are open and make that the keyframe, the key photo. So when you see it in your photo library, that's the representation of it. Um, you can also on the iPhone and iPad set it as your wallpaper and you can long press on your wallpaper and it, you know, on your lock screen and it comes to life all of a sudden. It's, it's really cool. And it's definitely one of those like tugging on the heartstring features that Apple honestly is pretty good at, but this yeah. one in particular, just really, it really gets me, man. It really does. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, uh, 
you know, it's it's just cool because a picture of a kid is great, but a three second video of them shows so much more of their personality. And all you got to do is turn that button on and you get it every time. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, that also opens up some some effect options. Uh, so once you have a live photo, there's a couple things you can do. You can loop it where it'll just keep running. And to me, the like the best way to try these out is like find some running water somewhere and take a live photo of the running water and loop it, and it looks like it just keeps running if you've got the camera steady. Um, the next one is a bounce where it'll go forward and backward. And that's like an effect you see on some of the social media apps like Instagram. And some of them have that already too, but you can take a live photo and bounce it. And the one I use of all of these, the most is long exposure where again, you could take a picture of water, but then you can make it a long exposure. And you know how water gets that kind of like white, like cloud look when you take a long exposure with a proper camera, uh, you can duplicate that with an iPhone. Um, uh, long exposure or with an iPhone live photo. And you can do those edits in photos for Mac even. So you can uh, go through them on a bigger screen if you want and yeah. see how they look. Yeah. Just swipe up when you're looking at the image, you'll see a bunch of options. It's, it's funny how, you know, that's it. That's one thing where I think the photos app is really good. Kind of the part of this we're not really talking about today, but it, depending on the type of photo it's looking at, it exposes all these features. If it's a, you know, if it's a live photo, it's going to give you the options to do long exposure. If it's a portrait mode, it's going to allow you to apply the studio lighting. And the the way everything works together is, of course, expected, but also well executed. Mm-hmm. One more thing I think people should be uh, aware of when looking to bring their photography to the next level is looking in the settings app to, to yeah. see what what this camera app can do that may not be immediately obvious a lot of things are in the camera apps ui but there are some things uh, that you can change in settings um we mentioned earlier which format you want to save in the new one or the old one uh you can enable the pro raw shooting in settings uh we haven't we, we mentioned this earlier but basically what this lets you do is it it saves much more image much more image data from the sensor the files are bigger uh, apple uses the dng file format which is extremely common you can open it in lightroom or photoshop or whatever but this additional information and dynamic range these files give you give you much richer fuller editing capabilities in applications that take advantage of it uh, apple's own photos app i don't think does a good job of this this is really like you're pulling these and putting them through Lightroom or Photoshop or some other raw photo workflow. I don't really shoot in raw very often on my phone. I really will only do it if it's um if it's an image where I feel like I'm going to need some of that dynamic range or some of those editing tools later. Like uh, I took a picture over the summer of this waterfall that I love in in Tennessee and. I know from previous trips, it's really hard to photograph it with an iPhone. I'm not going to walk down to the bottom of a waterfall with my like $4,000 Sony camera. And yeah. and so for that one, I flipped ProRAW on this time. And it gave me uh, the options uh, later in Photoshop to kind of tweak things the way I wanted. But I don't think it's necessary to leave on all the time for most people. Yeah. 
Uh, I wish there was a button in the camera app that jumped straight to the settings because a lot of people don't even realize they exist. Yep. You know, you've got to go into the settings app and it's not, it's pretty far down the list. Um, but I, I think there'd be a lot of users that would tweak it more if they, mm-hmm. if they knew that was even there because people just aren't used to going to another app to, to adjust settings in their app. The, it's also got the ability the, to preserve settings. And this is something that uh, I used to complain about. Like I talked earlier about in portrait mode, how you can use the one X or the three X lens system to shoot portrait mode, but it would never remember. But now you can just throw the switch in portrait mode, remember my settings. So the next time I go to portrait mode, whatever I used last time, it'll still be there. And there's a bunch of these different preserved settings for different settings in the camera. Do you use any of that? Uh, I don't. I tend to want it to like reset to the defaults every time. But if you have yeah. a thing that like you change every time in the camera app, it may be in this preserve setting list. Go go look for it. Yeah, we talked about burst mode earlier, but we didn't talk about how to trigger it. So in the settings, you can set to the volume up button to trigger burst mode, which is pretty useful. And then it depends on which phone you have, an iPhone XS uh, and 10R or later. If you swipe the shutter button to the left, it'll take rapid photos. If you swipe to the right, it'll start a video. And on the iPhone 10 and earlier, you touch and hold the shutter button. I actually prefer the prior um, mechanism where you just touch and hold. Me too. But with the new system, it allows you to also get to video if you want. Mm-hmm. There's also a setting for overlaying a grid in the viewfinder when you're compositing an image. You mentioned earlier that you love this, so tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the rule of thirds. I mean, uh, Stephen and I have both been uh, ba- given basic photography training over the years because we grew up as geeks, right? I think it comes with the territory. But I remember um, the very first thing you do is learn the rule of thirds. In fact, my daughter, who's teaching video now, we just, the other night, we had a bunch of plastic films on the sheets and we were taking magic markers and drawing basically a tic-tac-toe board on them. So she would let the kids carry them around the room and look through it applying the rule of thirds. And the idea is if you overlaid a tic-tac-toe grid uh, over the world, the best place for your subject to be is where those lines intersect. So you don't want someone in the direct center of the image. It's better to have them slightly to the right with something else to the left. The The pictures look better that way. And um, so there's a button you switch here in the settings. I just keep it turned on all the time. And it's a nice reminder. So every time I take a picture, I see the grid. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should frame it with the rule of thirds. And, you know, sometimes you'll choose not to. But if you have the grid there, it's a nice reminder. Yeah, I leave it on all the time. Yeah, it doesn't show up in the image, of course. It's just there in the viewfinder. Do you do the thing with the viewfinder, starting with the iPhone 13, I believe, where you they can expand the image beyond the typical image area, you know, where you can see it kind of go off into the UI as well. Yeah. So you can see what a wide picture would look like. I do. Um, that's a feature called view outside the frame, which is another like poorly named and confusing feature because it enables that. It also enables the iPhone to capture content from the next wider camera to use for cropping later. And for some reason, because no one knows how this works, it disables deep fusion. <laughs> so... Uh, I do leave you outside the frame turned on. I do like seeing, oh, if I just moved a little bit over or use this other lens, this is what my viewpoint would be. And I don't think Deep Fusion's ever done anything for me that I'm aware of. So I leave that on. 
I actually turned it off because I just don't like the noise in the user interface. I mm. like it to be cleaner looking. So yeah, that's fair. I, I've I turned that off quickly. Additional options in the settings, uh, prioritizing fast shooting over quality, you know, kind of getting back to that conversation we had earlier. Um, lens correction for the ultra wide camera. So you can have it like try to make it less like the ultra wide camera has a look, you know, because it's so wide that the things are a little like proportionally different between the center and the edges of the photo. You can have it try to correct that. You can also use that look, by the way. We didn't mention it earlier, but if you're shooting ultra-wide, try it one time, uh, put it on the ultra-wide lens, and get really close to your subject, and it, it adds a kind of an interesting effect. But the iPhone will try and correct for it if you have that setting turned on. And um, you can have a button for manually switching between ultra-wide and macro mode. Everybody was complaining when the iPhone macro mode first released that you couldn't manually turn it off and on. So they said, okay. Just like your iPhone case, here's a button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the button. I was one of the people who wanted it. <laughs> yeah, well, now you got your button. Are you happy? I am. <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Squarespace. Probably isn't a secret to many of you, but I love content management systems. My former life, I worked for an advertising kind of marketing agency. We had our own custom CMS Relay now has its own custom CMS. We built one. We started the company eight years ago. But look, you don't want to be like me. Custom websites can be a real pain. They're expensive. They can be fragile. That's where tools like Squarespace come in. You're not putting a bunch of things together with tape and string. No, it's an all-in-one platform. They have all the tools you need to sell stuff online to host something like a blog or a podcast, have beautiful photo galleries, contact forms, anything you need on a modern website, Squarespace has ready to go for you. You're not dealing with plugins from people you don't know or code you copy and pasted from the internet. Squarespace takes care of all of that stuff so you can focus on your content and you can focus on your business. I've built tons of sites in Squarespace for a family, for friends, for clients over the years. And it's always a joy. It's easy to use. And it's really easy to get something really nice looking at the end of the day. So if you want to be better than me, head to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial. There's no credit card required. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. We decide to sign up. Use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Mac Power Users and Relay FM. All right, we've been dancing around the term computational photography the whole show, but um, that is really what makes the iPhone so great. Um, there's just so much to the way the camera system works in the iPhone. It, it's not just a lens system or software. It's a combination of the two. And uh, Apple has really taken this seriously. Yeah, every time you go to take a photo, your phone is doing millions, literally millions of operations every single time. And so it's doing the obvious stuff like finding the white balance, exposure, focus, but it does face and object detection. Uh, it does noise reduction. It does this amazing thing where it can combine multiple shots into one 
single image. And so it may pull information from my face from one shot, but it may use actually a slightly different frame for the sky. And it'll put those together and blend them. And it's doing all of it every time you press the shutter button. It's instant. It's really amazing. Like, I really believe that this is Apple's like most impressive combination of silicon and software. You know, they talk a lot about that. We've talked a lot about it with Apple Silicon coming to the Mac. But this, I think, is where it's most impressive, that they're making these uh, these image signal processors so fast and they can do so many things. They've added machine learning to figure what out, figure out what it's looking at and all the different parameters it needs to set. And all we get is we get to hit, hit push the button and this amazing photo come out. It's yeah, I know. It, it's all going on behind the scenes. Uh, it's like it's like where your Sony camera's lens system is a hundred times better than the lens system of the iPhone. The iPhone software and the silicon on the chip built specifically for making pictures better is a hundred times better than whatever's in your Sony camera. It's mm-hmm. like that's the battle, right? One yep. team has hardware and silicon, the other team has glass. And um the uh it really is remarkable how far they've come with it. And mm-hmm. the the other thing I was thinking about, you know, we complain about Apple software sometime. We did a show on it recently, stuff we thought needed more attention. That is not an issue with the camera. I mean, the camera software is rock solid. It works every time. I've never had it not do what I expected it to do. You can see when they focus on something how how impressive they can be. And I think they take the camera stuff deadly seriously. Yeah. <laughs> right? You allude to how many people work on this. And you're right. I can only really think of of two things that I've wanted in the last you know, maybe five years. One was a macro mode, which I got. And the other was, I didn't really like the way that Apple's early HDR worked, uh, particularly in the era of the iPhone XS. I thought something about that camera system was tuned where the HDR was too artificial looking for my taste. Yeah. And they've dialed it back since then. And now I just, I mean, HDR is just how these things work, right? Where they're, they're using the multiple exposures to combined shadows and highlights so if someone's back is to the sun their face isn't necessarily in shadow right you get more detail yeah. than you would otherwise and, and for people who out are not like camera nerds the the problem is that the human eye can detect more dynamic range than most camera lenses so like if you have a bright background and you have a person you shoot a picture of the person the background may just be white, even though there were a bunch of clouds and interesting things going on, you lose it all because the camera in trying to adjust to expose the person properly blows out the background and high dynamic range photography is the idea where you take multiple pictures in one, you expose for the, the background, you know, so you get the clouds and the other one you expose for the person, then you combine them. And this was a thing going on with fancy cameras for years. And like there was special software to, to combine the images. But now the iPhone doesn't just take one of the background, one of the person, it takes like 10 and it like does all sorts of crazy stuff. And it does it in an instant using that hardware and software Steve was talking about. But you're right. It, it has got way better over the years. Of course, the beauty of all of this is that your camera is in your phone. And that phone comes with an app store and a bunch of other things that can come along with it. Uh, I wanted to highlight two third-party camera apps that I uh, enjoy and have checked out many times over the years. Like you, I'm 
mostly using the default camera app because it's the fastest yeah. and it gives me what I need. But if you want a little bit more, uh, I like both Halide and Obscura. Both have recent updates. Both have really cool raw support and implementation. Halide in particular lets you combine Apple's uh, raw capture with all of its machine learning computational photography stuff. Because if you shoot in raw in Apple's camera app, most of the computational photography stuff is turned off because they assume you know what you're doing, you've chosen to shoot in raw, you can fix it later. And Highlight lets you bring that back in. And it's uh, it's really pretty amazing. Uh, it also looks really great and it gives you kind of the best of, of both worlds. And I think Highlight did a nice job of combining the power that some people want out of raw photography with all the stuff Apple does for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd second the nomination for Halide for sure. That, that one I think is my favorite third party camera app as well. Yeah. Uh, Obscura three is also very good. Um, it's more gesture based than Halide and it supports different capture modes. And so you can use Obscura just in automatic mode and it acts like the, the regular camera app. Uh, or you can shoot in RAW and you have some different uh, different capabilities there. It also includes a collection of filters for styling later, all of which look pretty nice. What Obscura does really well, I think, is it lets you completely customize the UI. So if you have tools you really care about in the way that you shoot, you can just have them on the screen uh, at all times. And so both are great. I would say if you want to take things to the next level, uh, either one of these would be an excellent addition to your home screen. Uh, let's talk hardware a little bit. Um, I feel like, uh, there's a couple things you can buy to make your phone better. I like to think of it in terms of like, will it fit in my jeans pocket when I buy stuff for my iPhone? But there are a couple things that have stood the test of time. Uh, the studio neat glyph, uh, continues to be the go-to kind of tripod mount for the iPhone. It's made by some friends of ours, but it's also just amazing. It's got that ratcheted, they, they really nailed the design on it. So no matter what size phone you have, whether or not you have a case on it, you can get it into the Glyph very quickly. So we'll put that in the show notes. Do you have anything to say about the Glyph? It's it's fantastic. I've had a bunch of different versions of it <laughs> over the years, and the current one is the best one yet. I now own two of them because I just keep one in my travel bag, and I keep one at home because I find all sorts of uses for it at my desk now, shooting labs content You know, when I use my phone as a camera. So I just now I have two of them. Yep. Uh, the other thing is the the pocket tripod. Uh, the um, there's a couple of these, but sometimes they're called micro tripods. But they're these little tripods, and I'll find a link before we uh, publish. Uh, I'm sure somebody on Amazon selling them, but it, it is like a chick of uh, a stick of chewing gum sized tripod. You know, a little thicker, but uh, and it can fit in your pocket, and you just screw it onto the base of the glyph. It it uh, rotates a little bit. And like anywhere, like as someone who goes to Disneyland all the time, that little tripod plus a glyph plus a trash can, I can take some amazing night mode photos, you know, uh, with those little things. And it's just a very small bit of gear that fits in your pocket. Yeah. I like a Manfrotto one. Uh, it's, it doesn't fold flat. It's not really pocketable, but uh, it's sort of a similar idea. It is a really small tripod. You can pair it with something like the glyph and mount your phone basically wherever you need to 
Yeah. Now you're recommending the DJI gimbal. Have you tried that out? Well, I included it. So I have a, a previous version of this and I feel like it's not as worthwhile as it maybe as it once was because the yeah. the image stabilization of the iPhones has gotten so, so good. I really think when you look at a gimbal, it's really more about moving your phone through a shot and not as many people have that need as would have previously bought a gimbal just for the stabilization. So I feel like it's not yeah. as useful as maybe it was five years ago. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I tried it because, you know, we're doing a lot of video with the Disneyland field guide. And uh, so I, I bought an OM5, the new one, and tr- took it on one trip to Disneyland. And then I sent it back to Amazon. It just, the, and we're, we're going to do another show in sometime in the future on video with the iPhone because that, that deserves another full show. But one of the big points in that show will be that the stabilization on the iPhone is crazy. It is so good. And having it on a gimbal, I couldn't tell much of a difference. So I didn't, I didn't need it. Yeah. And then um, the other thing is uh, third-party lenses. There's been a bunch of these over the years. I think by far the winner is moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I own a couple of their lenses. I've, I've got the zoom, which I don't use anymore because it's built into the iPhone. I have a macro that I don't use anymore because it's built in the iPhone. But I've got a couple others that I actually do use. And they make uh, the the thing is you buy their lenses. They're good glass. And then every year they update the um, – they make a new case for the iPhone. So all you have to do is buy the case. You don't have to buy the lenses every year. And I've had these lenses for like five, six years now. And I just keep using them. I just – I've got the new Moment lens for my iPhone 13 Pro – and they just screw right on. And again, they fit in your pocket. So if you want to go somewhere and take a cool looking effect shot with a lens, you can do that. Yeah, it's really cool. Gone are the days where you need to buy a new lens every time the phone yeah. changes. Moments kind yeah. of figured it out. Of like, we'll just make the case and then you can screw these lenses into it and keep them for for a yeah. long time. And the cases aren't super expensive. The The new one was $50. And I, I bought the, you know, I got a little fancier one. It was 50 bucks and it looks nice and it's MagSafe friendly. And I feel like uh, if if you're interested in the lenses, um, Moment is where you go. Although, you know, this is a thing that keeps getting Sherlocked because Apple keeps adding lenses. And uh, if you've already got it built in, there's no need to have to screw it on. But they, yeah. Moment has some cool effects lenses that I really like. All right. Um, so we did it, Stephen. <laughs> we got through taking pictures of the iPhone. We didn't talk about editing pictures. We didn't talk about video. Um, but I feel like we had a full show anyway. I hope that uh, uh, if you're listening to this, you picked up a few tips. You can take some better pictures. One of the things I love about the iPhone is uh, if you're on a vacation or you're at a theme park or somewhere, that can be a, a moment of entertainment for you. It's just to say, all right, I'm just going to take my iPhone out and see what I can do with the camera today and start working through some of these different um, systems that they've built in and the features and see what kinds of interesting pictures you can take. Because it is shocking to me the variety and quality of pictures you can get with a phone that fits in your pocket, mm-hmm. the camera that fits in your pocket. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do just in life is to like take my camera and go for a walk, right? Like I pick yeah. a park or someplace in town, you know, okay, I'm just going to walk through downtown for two hours and just take pictures. And, and you get that variety. That's a great way to learn this stuff. It's just like go out into the world because you can only do so much in your office or your home, but go out into the world, find a place and and don't be afraid to experiment because 
honestly, this sort of thing rewards experimentation because you're going to find a feature or find a method that you weren't aware of that maybe like really clicks for you and what you want to do creatively. Yeah, agreed. Um, and we haven't even got started with what you can do with the pictures after you take them. But, <laughs> but you know, if you do take that walk in the park, make sure to share some of your photos with friends and um, you'll get all sorts of questions and then you can become the Mac Power user and explain to them how you took it so they can improve their photos too. All right, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And thanks to our sponsors today, 1Password, NetSuite, Electric, and Squarespace. We'll see you next time.